Super Talk Mississippi media production. Discover the Copaya Advantage. Copaya County is a Mid-South gem with a spirit of opportunity, a business-friendly environment, and access to major transportation networks. Copaya County, let's do business. Visit copayaworks.com today and discover the Copaya Advantage. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Friday edition of the Rebel Report. I am headed to Baton Rouge shortly for Ole Miss's series against LSU. We talked to Brody Miller of the of NOLA.com, Tom's Picayune. He covers LSU football and baseball with them. Really fun interview with, with Brody, trying to figure out what this LSU baseball team is, kind of how they battled through some of the injuries, what they're going to do with their pitching staff. A lot of good stuff there. Um, some NBA playoffs, some other stuff. We'll just kind of see where it takes us. Colin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so I, I guess just diving right into it, um, you know, so Ole Miss goes down to Baton Rouge. They lost to Southern Miss five to three on Wednesday night. I guess we can start there before we go to Baton Rouge. Zach Phillips was okay. Kind of fell victim to some of the stuff that's plagued him earlier in the year. Uh, makes it four innings. Uh, Houston Roth was pretty good behind him. Max Chofi was not. He did not record an out for the second outing in a row. Uh, Matt Walner hit two home runs and took one away from Cole Zabowski. That was probably the main story of this game. But Ole Miss just kind of cost itself another midweek game. Is now at eight non-conference losses. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's a little bit too many. Um, so you're gonna have to make that up somewhere. And uh, yeah, it just I thought Ole Miss ran into a little bit of bad luck early, and then they started to press. But at the same time, they got it tied up and. And Trophy just has a bad night, not able to get get out of the inning, and, and Southern takes the lead at us four to three, and Ole Miss was just never able to to tie it back up in the eighth or ninth inning. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I always have trouble trying to. So their RPI didn't really move much. They're 22 as of right now. So I, what they were 21 entering it. So I, I think it dropped yeah. one spot. Yeah. Um So I, I don't really know necessarily what to make of this because. I mean, I think if they still get to 18, they're probably still okay hosting. But like, they're just they're they're trimming the margin for error that's already very slim. I, I, I kind of disagree with with uh, that they're okay. I think there's a chance they could host at 18, but I, I think you're not going to feel safe unless you get to 19 with the the amount of non-conference losses that they have. I think to feel 100 percent safe, you're going to have to win 19 because. It's just so you've done so much damage with these non-conference losses, frankly, that you can't really leave the committee any reason to screw you. Well, yeah, and Haydad actually pointed out on yesterday's show that it reminded him of the 14 Mississippi State team that had a bunch of non-conference issues. They went 18 and 12 and got rewarded with a two seed in Lafayette's regional. Right. But that state that state team's RPI was a lot higher too. Like it was, it was in the high twenties. But I mean, it's still comparable in some sense. It's like sure. Ole Miss is not going to be that high, but like it's not that far off. Like you right. know, I mean, like Ole Miss will have a closer, better case where that state team really didn't. But it's still right. kind of the same deal in the sense that like they really the, hurt themselves. The biggest difference is, is is Ole Miss if they go five and if Ole Miss goes five and four to get to eighteen and twelve, their RPI is going to have no other choice but to go up because you're winning games against LSU, Mississippi State, Tennessee. Yeah, sure, but it's still going to be like on the borderline of outside the threshold. If not, I realize states wasn't even close, but like, right? I mean, it. I don't know. It's weird to see an 18 win SEC team as a two seed, but Ole Miss could very well end up being. Yeah, that. yeah, it's happened before. Uh, state in 14, Kentucky in 2012. Uh, they have no problems leaving out teams with exceptionally high RPIs. It's, it's frankly where do you 
think the RPI is going to be with 18 wins? That's going to be the question that is 18 and up. Well, where is the RPI at 18? See, and, I think it's going to be in the 16 to 18 range, which could still – I mean, I guess it could get down to 15, but to me, I don't know if it will get down to 15 or 14 even with that. I guess there's no yeah. what, what, no real way to tell, but like – Exactly. Yeah. You just don't know. And they certainly can't lose it at Jonesboro. That becomes no. – That becomes a bit of a hairy – a hairy affair. Now, losing at Southern wasn't a crime. Losing at Jonesboro would be a crime. Yeah, but it, it's it's like last night wasn't a crime, but it, it was a significant loss because of what they've done earlier in the year. Sure, like, sure. You know, they'd probably like to trade out, you know, North Alabama for a win. Probably that would probably be a, a decent starting. <laughs> I do wonder if there's what their RPI would be with a win over North Alabama. It didn't drop at the time, as far as I thought. Wasn't it like seven or eight spots? Uh, five. It was five. Yeah, I because thought it was going to be like 14. It was drop with a win anyway. Yeah, but like I thought a loss would like like catapult, like send it just kind of spiraling. Not terribly, but like I, you, I thought it would be more than five, to be completely honest. Yeah, but I mean, that that was kind of back to when the RPI was kind of volatile back at, you know, early April or late March. I can't remember. But uh, when the RPI was pretty volatile and, and they only dropped five spots because of it. So I don't know how much of a difference it would have made that today, but I'd be kind of interested. So getting into the series a little bit, and I, we asked we won't get too far into it because I did ask Brody a lot uh, about this, and and the first thing that comes off jumps off the board of the series is the pitching matchups because LSU's finally healthy in the field. I think they've got all nine regular starters healthy for the first time in like a month or so, I believe Brody said. On the mound, still not healthy. Cole Henry, freshman, freshman arm that's kind of was really supposed to kind of be anointed as their as as their ace. Um, is out for a second consecutive weekend because last week they were going to make the move to put Zach Hess in the bullpen and Cole Henry on the Friday night, and that got held off because Henry was out, and now they're just going to do it anyway. Hess is going to the bullpen. They're going to start Mikhail Hilliard, who, if you'll remember last year, was actually one of LSU's, probably their most reliable starter on a not very good LSU team. And then, obviously, they're going to go um, Eric Walker, on Saturday, and then Marceau on Sunday. Or Yeah, okay, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I always have to check myself on that. But, um, yeah, so that that's kind of the big story as to where Ole Miss has presumably an advantage on the mound on Friday night because Hilliard hasn't been as consistent as he was last year. So if they don't win that, good luck. Yeah, and I tell you, I, I think Zach Hess would have been a better matchup for Ole Miss than Mikel Hilliard because, while look, his ERA is 4-6 or so. Uh, he's got a hammer for a curveball. His his whip is really low, and he strikes out a ton of guys. He doesn't throw extremely hard, and everybody knows that's kind of old Miss bugaboo is guys that are going to sit in the mid to high 80s. Um, so I, I think Friday night's a tough matchup, or tonight's a tough matchup for Ole Miss. I think Etheridge is going to have to pitch really, really well um, for them to come out of there with a victory because I, I think Hilliard, his numbers have shown he's a little bit unlucky this season. And uh, I think he's a good matchup for Ole Miss for he was, him. He was um, their Friday night guy a year ago. No, Hess Saturday. Okay, that's yeah. right. It was Hess and then Hilliard. Because yeah. I remember that team coming through Oxford, and that was that was that was a transitioning LSU team. I guess you would call it. They were not very good. No, they were bad. Um, and had Ole Miss beat in that series, if you remember, because Dillard hits the home run on I guess it was Sunday or Saturday. I can't remember um, to win that series. But yeah, I think Hilliard's a tough matchup for Ole Miss now. Uh, you know, that, uh, it's weird. The the rotation sets up from a potential standpoint. Their best guy with the most potential goes on that on Sunday in Marceau. Uh, he's a 
uh, I mean, he was offered, I think, like $1.5 billion and turned it down to go to LSU, kind of reminiscent of, Ho- of Hovland. Well, that was a big so, that was a big reason why LSU was preseason ranked so high is because they had guys like Henry and Marceau coming in. Like it was, was Jaden Hill, I think was his name. Yeah. thrown like five innings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got dudes back there, but they've just kind of been beat up. Well, kind of, I guess that's a decent segue because one of the things we asked Brody about, and you're here in a second, is like through all the moving parts, because LSU has had, you know, it's kind of been like Ole Miss in the sense where at times the starting pitching has been good and the offense hasn't showed up and then vice versa. Right. Uh, but the lone constant through all that for LSU is they probably have one of the better, if not the best, pen in the SEC, and it's it's deep too with a lot of arms. And that's kind of been the lone constant for them through 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 some struggles. And you add Zach has to it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it gets so, better. And I think that's probably yeah. the best role for him. Yeah, it is. Because I don't think Mikel Hilliard's going to be that big of a fall-off Zach has from a starting perspective. And if they get Henry back, they're fine anyway. Oh, if they get Henry back there, I mean, they're LSU. Like, the talent at some point is going to win out. Um, so, yeah, you know, look, Ole Miss better not be behind late in the game and Zach has to be available. Because I'm telling you, Zach has at, at max effort is, is a scary, scary sight. So if you just go by starting pitching, I – I. So I did this with Brody, and I said Ole Miss obviously has the advantage. Would think I would think I would think they have a slight advantage on the mound on Friday. Sure. I think Ole Miss still has it on Saturday. Maybe I, I don't. Yeah, I think it's not equal. I think it's a wash too. And then Sunday, I would actually just by default give the nod to LSU. I know Marcel yeah. hasn't been completely consistent, but like. I mean, Didn't Ole Miss announce TBA, too? They did. I thought that was interesting. So I guess we can kind of get into that now. So I think it's Hoagland. But, like, as the point I brought up last week, would Hoagland have started the series if it were 1-1 against Texas A&M versus 2-0? We both kind of thought maybe not. Is this a similar thing where you get through and you get lucky and you don't have to use a Tyler Myers or an Austin Miller through the first two games? Do you throw them? Like, that, that to, to me, that's what that would suggest. Let me present another scenario. Is it possible that you use Hoagland out of the bullpen? Uh, Friday and Saturday, and, and and because he's really good, if he's if he comes in with a clean inning and nobody on, is it possible that you use him out of the bullpen on Friday and Saturday, and he's not available to start on Sunday? I guess so. I just view this more of like a safety net for like Mike in the sense that he can kind of think his way through it without like naming a starter. It's like it, it, more than likely it's going to be Hoagland, but like I think he's leaving himself the room for air to do something like that if the situation presents itself. Sure, because and, and, they're they're spread so thin. That it's kind of like he wants to like I don't I don't blame him for doing the TBH because in my mind that allows him a bit more freedom because the bullpen is spread so thin that he can kind of just think his way through without having to worry about like he basically wants to have all his bullets in the chamber and Hoagland being one of them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, but I, I do think more than likely because uh, the reason I thought they might throw Phillips against A and M if it was one one because he was really good or A and M was really bad against left handed pitching. LSU's not great against left-handed pitching, but they're not Texas A&M bad either. So, uh, you know, I think Hoagland is going to get the nod, but also I don't think Mike's going to care uh, about Sunday until it gets to Sunday, if if, if you if you know what I mean. Because like, I don't think he's going to hold Hoagland back if they need to go win a game on Saturday just so he can start on Sunday. Otherwise, it doesn't out TBA. Yeah, that's kind of my point, and I guess, is it possible, like, if it comes to it and they need, you could see Phillips? I mean, he only went four innings. Yeah, yeah, I would think that he'd be plenty fine on three days rest. I don't know a pitch count, but, I mean, assuming, you know, four innings, nothing crazy, I would I would think he'd be plenty fine to go on Sunday. 
Yeah, so I don't know. That, that'll that be interesting. I don't really have a gut feeling on this. I think Ole Miss has as good an opportunity as they ever have to get two down there since, what, they had one since 1982, I believe? Yeah, something like that. So, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, both – so, to me – like this was presented by a couple college baseball guys we had on the on the radio show this week is like I don't necessarily view this as an elimination series in terms of like hosting and whatnot but like the loser in this series because like, the only way that would happen is if there was a sweep either way and history tell you tells you that's very unlikely but like it does make like I mean I'm not breaking any news here but like the loser has a much more difficult path to hosting and the winner is like very much like it's very much a swing but it's not completely shutting the door I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean it's not from a perspective that oh if these teams are tied this team won the series. No, it's just that whoever wins the series like you said is going to have a leg up because they're going to have one more one more SEC win than the other. So um, I think it honestly I think it's a bigger series for LSU. Because they play, uh, you know, a really good Arkansas team and an Auburn team. While Ole Miss plays Mississippi State and Tennessee, I would argue Ole Miss's finish after this weekend is a little bit easier than LSU's. Um, yeah, I would probably. That, yeah, I mean, because Arkansas State is basically a wash because it's two obviously top level teams in the West. And then, would you rather have Auburn or Tennessee? You know, Tennessee. yeah. But LSU only has to go on the road once, right? They get two out of those three at home. To your point, and Ole Miss, well, has, yeah. yeah. So Ole Miss is going on the road twice. So yeah, it certainly, certainly makes sense. I don't know. I I think like I keep waiting to learn like a definitive fate for this team, and I think you're going to be as close to ever as that after this weekend. Because if they come out of there, what fourteen and ten, you know, particularly with another midweek loss, like getting to nineteen to guarantee hosting seems you know not as clear. But if they win two out of three, you're thinking okay, they could actually do this. Yeah, I mean, if they if they win one game and play extremely well, because that could happen. You could go to Baton Rouge, play well, lose two games. Like, you know, um, and I don't think that would be a death sentence from a hosting perspective. But I think Ole Miss just needs to play well. And because, and it, it, frankly, they don't play well in Baton Rouge. It's not like they go down there and play a ton of competitive series, to be honest with you. Um, I think 17 they did, and, but 15 But they, they never did, get they swept. They don't, but that a lot of it is, is winning back ends, too. Um so, I don't know. I, I think this team is, is kind of set up as good as, as we've mentioned as any team to win a series down there. Now, if gun to my head, I'm picking LSU to win this series because, frankly, they win every series at Baton Rouge against Ole Miss. But if there's ever been an Ole Miss team in the past 35 years to do it, it's probably this one. Yeah, so without further ado, we'll get our interview to Brody, and then we'll jump in back after it and discuss some NBA, some other stuff. And we now welcome on a really awesome guest. He covers LSU for NOLA.com. He's been at the Clarion Ledger in the past and a little bit of a lot of different things. It is Brody Miller. Brody, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How you doing, Brad? Dude, doing well. How are you? I know it's kind of a crazy time down there with you know, baseball, some college hoops trial. Uh, I think you're a Sixers guy too, right? You got a playoff run going on? Like, do you, are, how are you? Like, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm hanging in there. At least, uh, at least football's slowing down, so life's getting a little slower. But uh, yeah, we're recording this at what six fifteen uh, Central Time, and the Sixers start in forty five minutes. So yeah, it's going to be a, a long night on my end. Well, we'll definitely get you get you off before then. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. So, obviously, we'll get right into it with baseball. Um, oh, obviously, a, a huge series for both teams that are sitting in similar positions, and I think in some ways, kind of, kind of mirror each other because it's 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 been 
it's kind of like how are they sitting at 13 and 8 given you know what they've gone through to get there and so you know, I guess just starting off, obviously the big thing is LSU will be without Cole Henry on Friday. So how how does that change the dynamic of their rotation? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it changes in a massive way. Uh, so, yeah, you got Cole Henry is out for another weekend, and then Zach has to move him back to the bullpen. So, you know, basically, you're, you know, in one way of looking at it, you were without two of your top weekends, your Friday and Saturday starter. So, yeah, so what they'll do is they're going to pitch Michaela Hilliard on Friday, Eric Walker on Saturday and Landon Marceau on Sunday. Now, I guess that's one thing that kind of works out kind of well for LSU is that despite this being a pretty unfortunate situation, at least they had the luxury of, because they're, they're expediting the Zach Hess move because they want him to just, you know, commit back to being who he is and not, not be in limbo anymore and just go back to being that star reliever. But they're able, one thing that helps them to do that is that the guy you're plugging in in a short-term spin on Friday is Mikhail Hilliard, who, you know, isn't the pitcher he was last year, but has pitched pretty well and, and is a guy who was, you know, LSU's best starter last season, arguably. So it's not somebody who's going to be scared of this situation or anything. I mean, if I recall, he actually pitched pretty well against Ole Miss last season. So, yeah, he's somebody who can at least jump into that situation to handle it. I mean, that's going to be a tough game for LSU to steal. I'm not going to argue that. I mean, from a from a pitching point of view, this weekend got a lot more difficult. But I guess the counterpoint to that is suddenly LSU has, you know, off the top of my head, it's got to be one of the scariest bullpens in all of, in the SEC when you're going to basically have three guys who have been full time closers for LSU and pretty good at it. Where you have Zach Hess, the wild thing as they call him, you got Todd Peterson, who was their stud closer down the stretch last year, and Devin Fondo, who's been their best reliever this year. And Peterson's been up and down this year, but he's still a very good pitcher. So LSU basically has three guys who can both be, you know, an impact closer and who have experience extending late into games. So they have a lot of flexibility with that bullpen right now. It's just they just got to hope some of those starters can give them at least, you know, five innings. What is it that's changed with Hess? Because I've always viewed him, because obviously he's been around the league for a while. He's been a good starter in the past. I never actually thought he was kind of like a top-shelf Friday night guy. But, like, from an arm talent perspective, it seems to be there. Is it just... Like longevity, is it un- is it inability to get like guys out the second and third time through? What's kind of caused him to move to the pin? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and I think it's a question we've all been trying to figure out a great answer to for the past you know fifteen months. If we're being honest, I, it is a hard thing. It's not that I would say Zach Hess was ever a bad starter. You know, it was just that he was an inconsistent one. It was literally all or nothing. It would be you know he let's put it this way in between in twenty one or twenty two innings against. Texas A&M, Kentucky, and Georgia this season, he allowed just two runs. I mean, he, he shut out Georgia in eight innings. He shut down Kentucky and A&M for the most part. He looks amazing sometimes. But then you got games like Mississippi State, Alabama, where he basically gave up, I think, 11 runs in, nine or ten innings. So it's just it's all or nothing with him, and that's how it was last year, too. Because, like you said, he has so much talent. He's got, you know, when he's on, his fastball can hit 97 with movement. His slider is nasty when it's on. But I think... The overall thing is, when he's a starter, he's not quite being himself. You know, he's, because when he's at his best, he's that, you know, as corny as it might be, he's the wild thing that he was in that 2017 Colorado World Series run. He's this guy who can go out there, just be as intense as anybody, let loose and just let it rip. And he's really good at doing that. And I think these 15 months of being a starter, it's just a lot of trying to be something else. It's, you know, he's, he, now he has to save himself for seven innings and picking your spots and it's, you know, trying to pace yourself, and that takes away so much of what he does well. And then on top of that, I think the harder thing to really, you know, put a finger on is that 
then you have these struggles, and it's been 15 months of him tinkering with every little thing, because he's a smart guy, and he's good at analyzing these things, but he's tinkering every little thing and trying to figure out how to make this work, and then this happens, so I fix that, but then that leads to something else. It just became this mental game where I just don't think he was himself anymore. So I think this really came down to LSU probably has enough pitching talent if Cole Henry's able to get healthy. Let's put Zach Hess in the situation he can be himself and where he's his best, and if that happens, it's going to help everyone on the team. Are you? Do you kind of look at this team the way like I've kind of looked at Ole Miss this year, and it's it's really interesting because this team has had so many bad losses, particularly in the non-conference in midweek, and they've been up and down and up and down, and like they like it, last week it got to the point where they lose to state in the midweek, and you kind of start asking questions as to like what the future looks like, honestly, because it looked like they were going nowhere fast, and then they sweep A and M, who threw their Ole Miss has been awful against left-handed pitching. They sweep two of the best with the two of the best lefties in the league going for A and M, and now all of a sudden you look up at thirteen and eight, and you're sitting there thinking like all they have to do is win five more games to host. And I guess that's a long way of saying like I, I don't know what to make of this team at all. Are you, are you surprised with what LSU's kind of gone through that they're sitting in the position they are in right now? Because I am a little bit with Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm surprised purely because surprise is always tricky because it's LSU and you kind of. You know, 13 years of Palmieri baseball has kind of told you this team always figures it out in, in May and June. But, but it's surprising because of just how rough things looked at times. I mean, I'm surprised that they're in as good a shape as they are is what I mean. Because, okay, they've had, you know, they, let's put it this way. Actually, now I think about it, it's just kind of occurring to me. But basically, their entire starting weekend rotation, I guess Landon Marceau's back on Sunday, so never mind. But, but basically, their entire weekend starting rotation has been out at some form or another. And they're Friday and Saturday. Because, you know, Zach Hess is out of there. Cole Henry's out of there this weekend. Jaden Hill looked incredible for two weeks, and he hasn't pitched in two to three months. And then and it's injury after injury. Now Marceau's finally back. But, so you basically had no – without some of your top pitchers for most of the season. And then right when pitchers started to get a little more healthy without pretty much your entire uh, – there was a stretch where they only had one healthy bench player, like on, uh, position players. So that's how many injuries have hit them there. And then there were some hitting struggles. And it's just every week it's been something – so the fact they're somehow, like you said, 13-8 is kind of kind of shocking, if I'm being honest. And right now, they're, aside from Cole Henry, suddenly getting healthy. So I'm surprised that they've been able to stay afloat. But I do kind of have this sense that if they can make it through with something with you know the starting rotation, this team definitely has a lot of upside still because right now the position players are 100% healthy. They have all of them. The lineup seems to be figuring some things out. The freshmen are kind of finding their place on the team. And it really, I think the season will rise and fall by, is Cole Henry healthy? Because if Cole Henry's not healthy, then all of a sudden you don't have a single weekend starter you're really scared of. But but if you have Cole Henry, I mean, he's looked like a stud. And I think this team, do I think they can win the West? Probably not. But I think this team can certainly be a scary team down the stretch. You mentioned the lineup figuring out, and two weeks ago kind of, Looking ahead to this series, I guess from an Ole Miss lens, it was how healthy are you going to catch LSU? And obviously, not fully healthy from from a rotational standpoint, but obviously position players, as you mentioned, are as healthy as they've been. With, with that lineup that's that's kind of been up and down a little bit, is there a guy or a place or two in the order that, when they're right, kind of changes their their ceiling? I guess as an offense, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if there's a perfect answer. I guess the the closest. I guess if you're trying to pinpoint one, it's kind of a short-term example. But, you know, it's funny. So Gavin Duga is a freshman infielder. And, you know, I mean, he didn't really play the first two weeks. I think he was kind of just struggling with getting acclimated. And then 
basically got his first start at the end of February and had a really good game. And like, it was that, it was what all the, you know, the, everyone said about him when he was first getting recruited. He looked really good. And then that game, he tears a ligament in his thumb and misses two months. So we had a, we didn't get to see him much. And all of a sudden, Paul Maneri spent the last two months kind of just consistently dropping hints to like, man, this, you know, what we're really missing is Gavin Dugas. When Gavin Dugas comes back, you know, that's going to be big because one of their problems is their second base situation. Not, you're either going with a great defender or a, with no bat or a, you know, a good bat with no defense. And like he kept saying, if we get Gavin Duga, and then Gavin Duga finally got healthy, came back this weekend, got two starts, and went off the top of my head, I want to say, three for seven with like three RBIs and just hit really well and played some solid defense. So I think that's somebody that might just give this offense a little more upside. But my overall answer is that it's a team full of guys. There's no one guy hitting 350. There's no one guy who's going to hit 20 home runs. It's just a lot of you know, balanced guys. It's your Daniel Cabrera hitting around 300 with like, with like, I think 10 home, eight home runs right now. It's Josh Smith batting 330, but not as much power. It's Antoine Duplantis is obviously one of the hit kings in LSU baseball history. You know, it's him hitting around 300 without much power. It's just, it's a lot of guys who are just pretty good. And it's, so it's a matter of can you have depth and can you, you know, be strong one through eight, in my opinion, at least. And I think having Gavin Duga healthy and having some of these guys might kind of open up this offense. Because there was a stretch there where that bottom half of the lineup was at Wakeland. We've had a couple. Very- we've had a couple college baseball guys come on the show the last couple weeks. Obviously, you came on yesterday, and Richard asked you the sim- a similar question, I think. And it's it's like, do you view this as an elimination like series in the sense that one team is going to be tough to host? Because I don't necessarily. I, I think the road to hosting, particularly for Ole Miss, if they lose this series, gets a lot harder but not impossible. How do you kind of view this from LSU's lens as to hosting, not hosting, maybe getting hot and climbing into a national seed? Like, like, where, like, how big of a swing, I guess, do you see this weekend as? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and I didn't give a great answer when, when I was asked about it yesterday, but I, I, I don't, I'm kind of with you where I think Ole Miss could certainly still salvage itself, and, and if anything, I think, yeah, LSU is probably – I don't know. If be, I think you add in the, the whole Cole Henry dynamic, so it's like you know. I imagine people who make these polls are probably gonna you know if LSU doesn't have a great week, and you'd think they probably kind of factor that in that what they look like with Cole Henry versus without him. I I, I think that LSU can still kind of easily salvage itself because for whatever bizarre reason, Paul Palmieri is like twelve and one in series against uh, Arkansas and Dave Van Horn, so you're there next weekend. And, and then you got Auburn, which is a winnable series. It's just kind of, I, and I think there's a scenario where both these teams could, could have a rough weekend and still bounce back pretty easily. But I, I could be wrong there. I kind of agree with you in that sense. Like the only outcome that would like probably change my answer is if like you told me there was a sweep either way. Which if you like look at the history of this series, that is like incredibly unlikely to happen. So like that's like the, that to me is like the only thing that could really change it. Because like it Ole Miss, like if you go thirteen and eleven with State and Tennessee to finish, like getting to eighteen seems nearly impossible. But like that would be the only thing I could see. So how do I mean? How do you see this shaking out? Because I think I think Ole Miss probably has a bit of an advantage on the mound on Friday, but LSU definitely has it on Sunday, and then Saturday I have no idea. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you just said about the the pitching advantage point of view. I think you nailed it. Um, you know, I still think, and I can't tell if this is just kind of you know me you know me being closer to it and maybe a little bit of bias there, but. I kind of think LSU just has the advantage because I do like the idea of this LSU bullpen and what that can do with all these arms. And, and I do think this lineup has been figuring some things out, so I kind of give the advantage there. 
And I go back to just, it's such a tricky, it's always really frustrating because I always find myself using this as like a reason for things, but Palmineri's teams just year after year, even last year when this was probably the worst team Palmineri's ever had, they always just go on a run in May and June. It's just like clockwork and it doesn't make any real sense, but it always happens. So if if I'm looking for a tiebreaker, I feel like that's it, that, that it seems like, hey, they had a good week last week and things seem to kind of be clicking and you're finally healthy. It just kind of feels like this will be the time, if ever, that LSU really goes on that run. But like you said, I think my answer might very much depend on can Mikhail Hilliard go four or five half-decent innings tomorrow. You mentioned the pin, like it, it sounds very clear, and from watching LSU in spots this year, it, it seems this way too. The pin's kind of been the one constant around all these moving parts. What do you, like is it is it is it two or three top level arms, or is it the depth that kind of makes it have the teeth it has? Yeah, I think that, that's a that's a great question because I think the answer to that's probably changed. <laughs> I think about a month ago, I would have told you it was the depth. I think a month ago, all of a sudden, you know, you have Peter Sinifano, obviously, but then you had. Vintmeyer, Trent Vintmeyer is kind of a, you know, he's always kind of a middle of the road arm and he's had a, he had a really great two month stretch. And then, you know, Matthew Beck, who's an up and down player, but he has a 2.2 ERA this season. Mikhail Hilliard, in theory, a bullpen guy for the most part. And then even Clay Moffitt, who was, I mean, a genuine, like, you know, blowout pitcher you used when you were losing by 15. I mean, he went 12 innings this year without giving up a run. Like, he had a 0.0 ERA until about two weeks ago. So, it was just all of a sudden, like, you had, like, seven guys you genuinely trusted. Now, I think some of those have kind of leveled out a bit, but Fontenot looks great. Peterson looks like he's figuring himself out again after a rough stretch, and now you're throwing in Zach Hess, who really, I mean, if Zach Hess can even look remotely like he did in 2017, that's really scary if you're an opposing team with who's trailing in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. So I think my answer a month ago would have been depth, but right now, I mean, just uh, those top three or four guys are really scary. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting down there because I always enjoy covering games at Alex Box. It's a cool view. It's a cool atmosphere. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down there. And so I guess just kind of switching gears a little bit, obviously there's a there's a ton going on with just basically all this FBI probe shit, for the lack of a better term. And, like, I know you're not on, like, the day-to-day basketball beat, but, like, more or less we kind of all cover the same stuff and live in the same world. Like, it's fascinating to me watching all this come out because – like, you look at all the main characters in this, and, like, Will Wade still has a job, obviously, in that situation played out. Like, Sean Miller does, too. It seems like all of the schools and athletic directors involved in this just are kind of believing that the NCAA is not going to actually, like, do anything with this. Is that the sense you kind of get from LSU as to what's going to happen? Because the NCAA doesn't have anyone present at this trial right now. <laughs> they do not. Um yeah, I think yeah, I think there's always a tinge of that, but I don't I don't know if programs are really operating on that. I think I can speak with LSU's case, and I think there's probably some of this with Arizona as well. Is that I think you just kind of your most prudent option is just to wait it out. You know, it's not that I think LSU's like we think we'll like we're some. I don't think LSU's sitting around thinking like Will Wade's going to get off clean and everything's fine. It's just it's that you you suspended him a month and then. Then there was this whole thing of can you fire him with or without cause. So then if you fire him without cause, you're paying a massive buyout for a coach that's still really popular here. So that's a weird dynamic. And then and then it became this whole thing of now you waited a month, month and a half. If you fire him, I mean, every other coach that you would have gone for is gone now and taken off the market. So you're just stuck in this weird in-between for a really long time. And I think the big change was they made amendments to his contract very recently where now he agreed to give up his big bonus for having a good season. And 
pay him his contract so that now if he ha- is found of a level one or level two NCAA violation, they can fire him with cause. So it was kind of them meeting in the middle a little bit, and it was basically now LSU saying, we're stuck in the middle, so we're going to stick with you, but now we have an out if you ever actually get caught. So, and yeah, you might be right that there is some a little bit of truth to you know that being a part of that because okay, now you don't know if the NCAA is actually going to ever do anything with this, but that's the only way it would actually get bad. That makes perfect sense, but I think a lot of it's just you don't have that many options. Let's hold out and see what happens. Was in your mind like a hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, but like. I thought the, with the way LSU had handled it leading up until when the obviously the report of the recording came out, like, do you think suspending him was the right move? Because like I didn't necessarily see it as wrong at the time. I never could figure out what I thought of it. I just kind of thought it was a weird move given the strategy they went the whole time. Like, do you think the end season suspension was like right or wrong? Because like it seemed to have, obviously it, it had an effect on the team. It disrupted one of the more talented teams in the country at the time. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's something I go back and forth on all the time because do I, it's tough. Here's why it's tough because I think like from just a pure legal, you know, protecting yourself point of view, the second that he said, I'm not meeting with you guys, they had no option. They couldn't let him keep coaching. They just flat out couldn't. I don't see any way you could if he, if he's not going to talk to you, if he won't say, if he won't just deny it, you can't let him coach. But, then it becomes yeah, it becomes tough because now you just you just they did so much more damage with by the suspension and and then you have the whole thing of you know what's hovering over this is Joe Oliva being on a, on a hot seat this whole time as athletic director and then by the end of it he lost his job and that's by no rain, no no means the one reason he lost his job but that also added a weird layer to this so I think it did a lot more damage and the suspension clearly if I think if they could do it over they would do some things differently but I'm not too sure what they can do differently because. You can't fire him, really, at that point unless you want to pay money. You, you can't let him keep coaching if he's going to deny it. I feel like the biggest thing that if anyone, if everyone involved could do it over, I would guess is Will Wade would have a different lawyer because when he started <laughs> out, because, yeah, he changed lawyers midway yeah. through the process, and then they decided to meet at the table, and he basically just denied it. And I think if they could all do it over, they would just deny it from the start and move on and go forward, kind of like Sean Miller did last year. I think that is the only thing. I just don't personally, and I might be completely wrong on this, but I just don't know what LSU could have done differently to protect itself. No, I think you're dead right. So it's like a weird situation because it was like bad. It was a bad legal move on behalf of the coach put the school in a situation to where it could do like nothing else essentially. Kind of like you said, I think you I think you nailed it with that, which is just fascinating because like there's so many <laughs> there's so many layers to this whole deal, and I just don't know where it ends or where the bottom of the whole thing goes. Like, what does this look like when it's over? Because I have no idea. Like, I'm not even talking just LSU. Like, how deep are they going to go with this? Like, it's just. Some like a bunch of dudes go to prison and like it's back to business as usual. I have no idea how this ends. Yeah, no, it's a, it's true because yeah, it's like it's like either everyone gets off or they really dive in and everyone gets in trouble. <laughs> but if everyone gets in trouble, then does anyone really get in trouble? You know, <laughs> it's, it's I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is because I I think that they would really get in trouble if they just stuck with this like middle ground of like we're just going to catch these few guys when everyone probably is doing these same things but uh, yeah it would be weird if just a few of these guys fell down but uh, but also i'd be it'd be really problematic if you just let them all off scot-free so i don't know what this looks like and i will never pretend i know what this looks like because 
we, there is zero precedent for this, and there are people way smarter than me trying to figure this out as well and failing. <laughs> yeah, it, dude, it'll be it'll be fascinating to watch how this actually like finishes and plays out. Last thing before I let you go: are the Sixers coming out of the East? <laughs> well, I'll say if they get past the Raptors, I think they do because if they get past the Raptors, that means they figured something out. That means like this ridiculously talented group of guys figured out how to click and work as a team. But if I mean, I don't see any scenario they get past the Raptors if they're still kind of a disjointed mess. But if the Sixers are together and figure these things out, I mean, I think they're the scariest team in the East. They're the deepest, most not deepest, but most talented. So if they get past, it's a cop-out answer, really. I'm hedging my bets here. But if they get past the Raptors, I think they win the East and lose to the Warriors. If they, if they, and then obviously otherwise than that, they would lose. I think they lose in like five or six games in Toronto. So, you know, that makes sense because it's weird because they're like, it's a, it's like four or five like elite level dudes, not much bench, but like, like it, it, it like works, but like not every piece has to be going for it to work. They're the most fascinating team in the playoffs by far. I don't even think it's a close second. No, I think I think it's a great way to put it because yeah, it's, it's, that's what's so frustrating about it because what makes the Warriors, at least during their best years, work so well is that it was four guys working in perfect harmony and just like perfect basketball. And you think like that's how these teams need to work. But like you said, if with the Sixers, if, if, if two are working, things will follow. And then, but then all of a sudden it just doesn't look good. So a lot of the times the Sixers will win these massive games and you're really psyched about it, but it looks ugly because Tobias Harris had three points and you're like, what, what's up with that? Or like Jimmy just shot like six of 24 and just looked lost or, or Ben Simmons didn't touch the ball, but, or one, one or the other, but, but everything else is working and that's why he's not touching the ball. So it's, it's this weird bittersweet feeling. I feel like of every game where I'm stressed about how bad something looks, but it's like, wait, we won. So, yeah, I, I, I've been a mess these past few weeks. I won't deny it. Dude, go grab a beer or two. We appreciate your time, as always. This was a lot of fun, and you got a, a hell of a Game 3 to look forward to tonight. Uh, but we appreciate it, as always. You can follow him on Twitter, Brody Miller. Um, covers all things LSU. I'm looking forward to getting down there Friday. Maybe we'll get out in time to grab a beer or something one of those games. I would be very happy if we could, man. This was a lot of fun, though. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, dude. Brody Miller, thanks for joining us, as always. Brody offered a lot of decent, a pretty good insight there into the series, kind of what's been going on with LSU. They're kind of a similar team to Ole Miss in some ways, in the sense that it's been a lot of moving parts to get to this 13 and 8 mark, and it's kind of looking like how are they here? Um, but nevertheless, they are. So Brody, as a decent segue, also a Sixers guy, as you just heard. So he's got a lot on his plate right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> they had a big win last night, to be certain. Yeah, so. That was really the only NBA action last night. The Sixers blew out the Raptors to get take 2-1 lead in that series. So, to me, it looks like the Sixers, like, I think the Raptors are still better than they've been in the past, and, like, they're going to get unfairly lumped in as, you know, as Colin Coward likes to call it, the baby dinosaurs that are good in the regular season and fade out in the postseason. I think they're a different team because they have Kawhi, but, man, the Sixers are just a buzzsaw. So it's finally looking like that that's working. So uh, Mike Breen, I believe, was on the call last night for ESPN and had a decent stat that said that starting lineup has only played 17 games together, like ever since the Tobias Harris trade. So that, they're still getting acclimated with each other, and it looks like it's finally just working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got guys that are, that are just players. I mean, Embiid is I, Embiid's one of the more fun players to watch in this league. Uh, top you know, two unstoppable next to Giannis, just simply to where you can't stick it. Like he, it, top, I would say top three actually, because obviously Durant. Like there's just like no matter who you stick on him or what you run at him defensively, there's just a, some things you can't control. 
you mean like a seven footer hitting threes? Yes, or a seven footer <laughs> pump faking on a three, taking one dribble and getting into the lane and dunking. <laughs> Not much you can do, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, I think the series, like you said, I don't think it's over, but I kind of think it's getting close to being over after last night. That was just dominating last night. Yeah, like if, if, if the Sixers, like if it was 2-1 and the Sixers still had home court, it's over. The only reason I'm giving Toronto the benefit of the doubt, because they could recover and steal a game four, and then all of a sudden they're kind of in the driver's seat again, because obviously they get two at home versus one at that point, and it turns into a two out of three. Philly's the better team, though, and last night I think kind of put a put an exclamation point on that. Yeah, yeah, and boy, uh, you know, Philly-Boston would be a uh, fun Eastern Conference Finals, wouldn't it? Uh yeah, that would absolutely that would be fascinating to be honest. Uh, that would, but I think Philly like so so Boston's always kind of had Philly's number the last couple of years that really beat up injured shorthanded Boston team beat Philly last year. That was when the Sixers were kind of new, first kind of time dipping their toes in playoff waters. Al Horford's been kind of the one guy that's humanized Embiid, but I, I think there's just too much firepower on Philly. I would actually probably take Philly over Boston in that series. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that I think you're right. I, I think it's just kind of Philly's time. And, and I know that sounds cliche and weird, but it but they made that over. Harris trade to win now. Like that's that's their, that was kind of their whole thing. Is it is our time now? Like we want to win yeah. the title now, and that's why they made the trade. Yeah, well, it's certainly appearing that way. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think I would take them over because I'm not ready to count out Milwaukee yet because they have been really really good all year. I think they can win a game in Boston. I think Boston's going to have to win another one in Milwaukee to secure that series. But I think I would take Philly over. Milwaukee anyway like I think if Philly gets past the Raptors they're probably going to come out of the east and Brody kind of shared the same sentiment a little jaded he's a Sixers fan but I actually thought he was incredibly correct with that to where he's like look if they can get past Kawhi I I think they match up well with both of those teams no I I think you're right I mean yeah if I had to pick somebody right now to uh, win the east it's certainly Philadelphia and look that could change in an instant with Toronto winning a game four and and Philly and going back at 2-2 but uh, it just they're just playing so well right now, and I don't really know if anybody else is playing as well as they are. Yeah, I would agree with that. So tonight you have what? You have Denver, you have Denver, Portland, and then you have Boston, Milwaukee. So a couple of a game two and a game three, because yeah, that that would have to be it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, that's no, it. two game threes because Portland tied at one one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Portland won uh, game two and Denver pretty convincingly, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, they did. They were up big. They ended up winning the game by seven, but it was like a 16-point lead at halftime. They were never really in any trouble. Like It was just kind of Portland. I mean, Denver trying to crawl back into the game. They kind of did at the end, but they were never any in any real trouble there. So that should be pretty good viewing tonight because I read was reading an ESPN piece that was calling the biggest game of Giannis's career, and I don't necessarily disagree because if you go down 2-1 and you're facing a game four where if you lose, you go down 3-1, that's not a situation you want to be in. So I would think if Boston, like if, if Philly, or excuse me, if Milwaukee's going to win one in there, it's probably going to be tonight. I think I agree with you. Uh, I think I agree that, you know, it, it kind of just feels like if you go down 2-1, your back's up against the wall in an environment that's probably not conducive for your success. So uh, it kind of feels like if, if Milwaukee's going to go up or uh, go back to Milwaukee with this series tied, at least it has to be tonight. Yeah, and at the same time, I say that the the beauty of having home court advantage, and like this is not any earth shattering news here, but even if like Milwaukee goes down three one, that would be different than Boston going down three one because if you hold serve in Game Five at home, it really is just winning one game like on the road versus like two. Because if they go down three one, hold home court at five, 
and then just steal game six, all of a sudden it flips all the way back in your favor. It's like, yeah. in reality, all they have to do is win one of the next three, but I don't want to go down to 3-1 to that Boston team, even if two of the next three are at home. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're not capable of beating you in Milwaukee. Right, I mean, they showed that in the first game. They blew them out. I have no idea what to make of the other series. I think Portland wins it, but Denver looked really good in game one. Jokic looked like the dude that can kind of like actually be a certain, like so much of his, what he does is like getting the ball to other people, but he looked like he could kind of be that scorer down the stretch in game one, not so much in game two. I'm just not sold on Denver. I probably am still taking Portland, and this feels like Portland's year to kind of get to the Western Conference Finals and kind of arrive, quote unquote. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. The, the West is kind of just, it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, like, like we kind of said, I'm fascinated by the Eastern Conference, just frankly, because I, I think it's, it's two teams that are kind of come, or three teams that are kind of coming of age with, uh, Milwaukee and, and Philly and, and Boston. And, and we kind of just get to see, uh, those guys play at their, at their highest level. And, and that's kind of why I like Philly is because, you know, they, they've built this roster. And like you said, it's their time to win now, but they've built this from the ground up. And it's kind of just been fascinating to follow. Yeah, the only team out of the East I'd be surprised that made it out of the East is Toronto. Like, if Philly, Boston, or Milwaukee, like you told me, either of those three made it out, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Toronto is probably a step behind everyone else. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, Toronto's a good team, but, I mean, you, you go down 2-1, you look like that. I don't really know how you can project them to win the series either. Yeah, and then on the other side, I mean, Golden State's going to come out of the West. I think the Houston series is over. I'm saying this hoping I sound like an idiot in a couple of days because I really want that to be not be over, but I think it's over. Yeah, no, I'm with you. <laughs> it it kind of just feels like that one's done. Um, but, you know, I, I, this, this is kind of, the, to me, the, the exciting time of the NBA playoffs. Like, the first round is always kind of mediocre, but it, this is kind of where it starts to get real. Well, I was, like, really looking forward to this Golden State Rocket series, but it's kind of sucked. It's turned into like, like, like it's it's like the peak Harden series in the sense that like it's like what he does in trying to trick referees and being deceptive. Like I have a respect for that because some of it's kind of an art, some of it's flopping, but like some of it is him being shrewd as an offensive player. But it's turned into the peak Harden series in the sense that like the story has become what's a foul and what's not, and these guys are just. I mean, they're like, like they're acting like someone like. Like kid died after every single whistle. Like you could put like Draymond Green and and James Harden or Jaron Green and Chris Paul could punch someone in the face and then turn around and act like they did nothing. <laughs> it is kind of sad that the uh, referees have become the you know the focal point. I wonder, it's nauseating to watch. Is is it the same referees every single game? I yeah, it's the same crew. I, I think okay. at least to some degree. Okay, I didn't know if it was the same crew for every single, like, if they had crews per series, how that worked. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but it may be different because they were, the big conspiracy going into game two is that Scott Foster um, is an official that has had, like, beef, I guess, with both of those teams, so they were both kind of worried about that going in, so it may not be the same, but either way, it doesn't really matter, like, who the actual officials are, it's the, it's the officiating versus the players dynamic, which has just gotten completely out of control. Yeah, I mean, it's turned into a game of tricking the referees instead of actually like trying to score and get fouled. Like Scott Van Pelt had a decent segment there. Like Harden's going up on contested threes to shoot free, three free throws, not make the shot. No, and it, did you see? The, I mean, I, I don't know if we talked about this. The eighty-one point that, that Houston, like I guess, audited is the right word in last year's Western Conference Final. Yeah, that's silly, and to make that public during this series is dumb. That's I think that's I a lame look. 
Yeah, I mean, and it kind of went public right on Sunday, right after the uh, the non foul call. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. No, not at all. Yeah, and like I, I don't know, that's a weak look. Like Houston looks weak in this, and I think they're they're those. What sucks is like they're close. I think they are as close as ever as any team has been to beating this version of Golden State, like talent wise. But man, they're just nauseating to watch sometimes. Yeah, I mean you're exactly right, I, and I don't know. I, Harden and Paul are just kind of infuriating, and I, I can't I can't exactly pinpoint the right word I'm looking for, but I can't make myself pull for those guys. Yeah, it's not a, like it's not visually appeasing to watch. I kind of want Harden to get one title because I do think he's one of the best best scorers in a generation. And like, I mean, he's won an MVP, might win a second, but yeah, it is just nauseating. But I mean, there are guys that like there's those Jazz teams that never really came to fruition because of Jordan. Like, there's a lot of really good teams and players that never win titles because they run into a Goliath, and that seems to be what Harden's run into with with Golden State. Although with Durant leaving next year, you know, I mean, Houston's definitely keeping it together, but with Chris Paul getting older, like. They better make their hay in the two or three years after Durant's gone. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, yeah, it, it's just it, with, with Durant leaving. I mean, they, they're going to be. I still, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. I don't know if they're still going to have enough to beat Clay and, and Steph. I mean, I think it'll be close, but you know, and especially depending what happens with the Clippers, I'm not exactly sure that's enough to beat them. Uh, I'll push back a little bit and say I think it is. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a cakewalk like that would be pushed over. But man, you take Duran out of this series right now, and I'm probably taking Houston. That's fair. But I mean, it, I, I mean, they can do nothing with that guy. Like it's completely turned into Durant just saving the Warriors every offensive possession. They, you can't do anything with that dude. Well, but do you, what do they do if they don't have? Like I feel like they'd still be able to score the basketball. They would, but it would be much more even because it's 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 guards spreading each other out and like matchup wise, like like there's like other than really Harden and the Golden State's done a decent job at. There's no guy on Houston where Golden State's like he's going to get forty, and I have no idea what we're going to be able to do about it. Like that's what Durant is doing right now. Like Houston has no answer, can't do anything with it. No, you're right, and and, and give Golden State credit; they're taking advantage of it, but. Uh, you know, and I don't really know. We talked about this on Wednesday show. I don't really know who's going to be able to stop them outside of Giannis. Yeah, that's a good point. That is definitely true. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Should be a fun weekend of sports. Um, so, softball goes to Georgia. To Is that – Sure, tonight. Yeah, so that closes out the regular season? Correct. Hey, what? just real quick, what did uh, men's golf and women's golf, where did they wind up getting sent? Obviously, the women's golf had to made it. They won the SEC. Do you know where the men's team got sent? Out west somewhere, I think, to Stanford. I'll have to look that up. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's fine. I was just curious. Um, and I, I think women, the women got sent to Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure. So, But, yeah, softball goes tonight. There's a small, small chance they could win the SEC title. It would take some luck. Uh, it's probably going to take a sweep. But, you know, it's a, it's a heck of an accomplishment, frankly, to go into the last weekend with Mike Smith and, and you have a chance to win that, the best league in college softball. Yeah, and they're going to host again. Uh, they need to win this series. They, they need to win this one because the RPI, for whatever reason, is not helping them at all. They're still at 15. So if you lose this series, you could fall out of the top 16 RPI. Huh. I, th- I think, I, th- I don't know. I'll still give them a pretty decent shot at it. Particularly if you go in the last weekend with an outside shot to win the SEC. I agree. But, man, I, I don't know what the reason is. I talked to somebody about this the other day. Their RPI, they won series against Tennessee. Frankly, they won every SEC series they played except for one they tied. 
And the RPI has just stayed kind of stagnant at 15, which is just weird to me. The RPI is so archaic, though, that it's kind of not shocking, I guess. Yeah. So, should be an interesting weekend. We'll, um, that's about all I've got for today, um, unless you have anything else. But yeah. we'll be uh, back at it on Monday then to break down, obviously, this series, kind of what's ahead. Um, we appreciate you listening on a Friday. Have a good weekend. Stay safe out there. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Rebel Report. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.